The Craig Folley Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Good day, everyone. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Falling Show on Deadline Detroit. So glad to have you with me today. We've got another important discussion to have about municipal finance on today's program. I've been making a case over the last few days that maybe, maybe it's time to revisit how we pay for things like city services, how property taxes work, how Proposal A works, how the Headley Amendment works here in Michigan. Is it time for us to sort of revisit this? been building a little bit of a case for what is going on at the municipal level. We'll talk about schools in the days to come as well and what's going on in a number of districts around the state and how they are struggling financially under the current system. But today, I thought I'd get one more crack at what's going on in cities. And one organization has been blowing the sirens about this for a long time. It is the Michigan Municipal League. They have actually created an entire campaign called Save My City. That's Save My, M-I, City, as in Michigan. You can find all their information at their website, savemycity.org. Taking a look at what is actually going on with municipal finance. They've got all sorts of reports out there. And this campaign has been one to educate not only the public, but also legislators about what is actually happening out there, what is going on on the ground, and telling people that there is going to be a bill that comes due soon for a number of communities around the state, many of them still in financial distress after, of course, the Great Recession. Joining me right now to talk about it is Anthony Mangini. He is the Deputy Executive Director and Chief Operating Officer at the Michigan Municipal League. Anthony, welcome to the Craig Folly Show. It's always a pleasure. No, thanks for having me. Well, obviously, the Michigan Municipal League has been living and breathing uh, the realities of of the fiscal situation of the communities around the state for a long time. You came up with this campaign, Save My City, uh, which has been out there trying to educate the public on on what is happening. Um, and I don't necessarily want to suggest that uh, you're not having success doing this, but but have you been able to open people's eyes about the reality of the fiscal situation in the towns that they live in? Well, I, I think we have, and I think... Uh... You, when you start to hear people saying things back uh, that you've been talking about for a while, I think you, you know that the message is starting to be heard a little bit. The the, the reason we undertook the campaign, uh, well, we, one of the things we realized is not just do residents not understand, but to a large degree, even the legislature and business leaders and people in the community didn't really understand the dysfunction that occurs within our municipal finance system. And so we thought if we ever want to make you know, legislative progress, step one's got to be getting people to understand this issue in a better way. Well, I mean, you've been dealing with term limits, obviously, for a long time. So you have a number of new legislators coming in the door every couple of years here in the state. Does that make the process that much more difficult? It's absolutely. I mean, term limits makes everything more difficult. But when you have something as complicated as this, uh, it really is impactful on that. And a lot of people come in with the attitude of, hey, you know, I didn't break it or since I've been here, we've done X or Y. And that's really not the point. Uh, we've got to recognize that we have a long term um, exposure here. And if we don't deal with it and take some steps now, it might get to the point where it's going to be too late to deal with things. And right now we're still in a relatively strong economy. 
And we really feel strongly that we have to take these steps now. We go into another recession, and I think we're going to see some catastrophic failures of, of communities and, and schools and other things. Well, you know, there's obviously been some high profile uh, breakdowns in, in financial systems. Obviously, Detroit comes to mind, Flint, uh, a number of other cities, Benton Harbor, uh, E-Course that have gone through emergency management. And people sit there and, and they'll say, well, my community's not going through that, so therefore we're okay. But there are a lot of things that they're not seeing about what's happening in their community. Deferred maintenance, for instance, on a number mm -hmm. of things that is going to – there's a bill that's going to come due at some point, isn't there? Absolutely. And you see it in a lot of ways. I mean, one of the things everyone needs to recognize, uh, it doesn't matter what community you're in, you're living within the same system that has the same restrictions and uh, failures within it. And the question is, where are you in the continuum? So the communities that you just listed are older industrial communities. And so they existed long before a lot of the communities that maybe on the surface appear to be more prosperous right now. Um, they were a time, they were the boom towns. And through people moving out, through aging infrastructure, through the, the overall disinvestment at the local level, they are now experiencing a lot of problems. Those same factors exist for others' communities. They're just not there yet. Legacy costs continue to accumulate. We have all these issues we've got to deal with. And, and so we really got to take a new look at this and be willing to make some tough decisions. And, and really, I think appropriate ones to invest in our communities deal with some of these issues so that we're positioned for the future it is going to become a huge talent retention issue. We already have one in the state as it is. It's going to be compounded significantly if we can't make sure that we have the kinds of places that can attract and retain the talent that business wants, that the, the residents that communities need. It's going to continue to, to collapse under its own weight. Well, you know, you talked about investment in our communities, but but the reality is that we have seen disinvestment uh, in in a number of communities around the state. This has been something where Michigan has gone in the opposite direction of just about every other state in the union when it comes to investing in local governments, local communities, sending revenue to those communities to actually improve infrastructure, things along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you look at it from just a, a you know statistical basis, where are we percentage wise compared to where we were before the Great Recession? in terms of how much money these communities are getting? Well, I mean, so I, a couple of just little snippets to throw at you. Um, when you think about tax, property taxes, um, our taxable values statewide are at the same spot now that they were in like 2005 or 2006. Um, that's just unsustainable. And that for, for almost all communities is the single biggest revenue source. Revenue sharing has been cut by $8.6 billion dollars um, and depending on the community, it, it's hit you harder than, than others. Um, you know, you look at a, a Flint, you mentioned a minute ago, I think they've lost close to $100 million. I mean, these are incredible numbers um, that, that really manifest itself in diminished services, diminished investments in infrastructure, and, and an overall diminishment of the value of that community. And that's something that is counterproductive to trying to create strong economies, in strong places. Um, we need to make those investments. No business could survive by completely disinvesting in all the things that matter most, but that's exactly what we're doing at the local level right now. Well, you know, as you mentioned, you know, trying to educate legislators about this is important because every single state senator, every single state representative has communities in their districts that are that are hurting, frankly, that are trying to make do with less. Um, we've seen Massive cuts in public safety, massive cuts in fire protection as well in, in a number of these communities. Um, how, how do you convince them that it is something that is 
in their power to do something about. Because a lot of people will say, well, we have this constitutional amendment. There's nothing we can do to fix that. That's obviously we changed it once. It could be done again. Yeah. And, and actually, some of the changes that need to be made would not require a constitutional amendment. Um, you know, Senator Shirky's been on record as saying, you know, it's time to, to, to take a look at Prop A and, and Headley. And, and I think that's an indication of, you know, you asked that, that one of the first questions you asked was, are we making progress? The fact that anyone in prominence uh, like Senator Shirky would even you know, say those words out loud is an indication that people do are, are starting to understand that we have to be honest about this and we have to be willing to take a look at this. And, and um, I think that is a very important first step in being able to do this, because if we don't and we aren't willing to do that, I think it's going to it's going to crush us. I should remind folks, my guest right now is Anthony Mingini. He's, of course, with the Michigan Municipal League, and he's in charge of the Save My City program. Um, you know, taking a look at your website and some of the materials that uh, people can find out, you know, one of the things is the questions you ask is, how do we fix this? And, and at the top of the list is, hey, cost containment measures and also, you know, increasing efficiency are the two things that you say that communities do have to do. Are we getting to the point where they have made the adjustments they can potentially make at the local level uh, and still? find a way to get through or is that have we sort of cut to the bone at this point i guess so i i mean in terms of the things that are, are generally within a community's purview i think you, you see communities running very efficiently we are running at um far lower numbers than most of our, our competitors when i say our competitors i'm talking about communities in other states um people forget that we are competing with communities in other states to attract people here um and so this idea of becoming more efficient in how we deliver those services, I think we do a tremendous job of doing that. Uh, where there opportunities still exist, um, we spent a lot of time working on legacy costs uh, several months ago. I guess it's over a year ago now. Uh, and one of the things that we were looking to get is some tools to allow us to modernize benefits, not to take benefits away, but be uh, smarter in how we deliver good, solid benefits for our for our retirees and, and our working folks who eventually will be retired. Uh, we have sort of an antiquated delivery system on some of those things. So I think there's some some things in that area we could do that would, would bear some significant fruit. But um, at the end of the day, you still do need to invest more dollars. There's just simply not enough money flowing through the system. We have so hampered ourselves with the system that we've built and the restrictions uh, that are in Headley and the, quite frankly, strategic disinvestment um, at the state level to, for, uh, to defer money away from local governments um, towards the state services, um, that it's reaching a, a, a critical point now. And again, I think you got to look at it and say, you know, what are the types of things that we can do? And this is the other part where I do think there's the beginning of people, including in the legislature, starting to think of this differently. Um, well, the idea that we can just cut our way to prosperity is, is false and that we have to invest to create that. Well, obviously, you say more options for local revenue are some things we'd like to see as well. Mm -hmm. I, I had a conversation on the program yesterday uh, with Eric Lufer from the Citizens Research Council talking about mm -hmm. ad valorem assessments mm -hmm. and how a number of communities are able to use those to fund certain things that typically would be special, like infrastructure investments, but instead are using them to fund basic city services in many instances. But not every community has access to some of those tools. So mm -hmm. it's not necessarily an even playing field out there. Sure. What could we see when it comes to revenue generation that would be fair for communities, no matter whether they're a city, township, village, whatever? Well, I mean, local options are great if you have uh, capacity to do them. And I'll, so I'll use 
Uh, you mentioned Detroit earlier in the conversation. Detroit already has a very high military, right? So local options don't do a lot for Detroit because they don't really – having more taxes on their on their electorate doesn't move the needle in a positive way because they're sure. pretty heavily taxed already. Um, but looking at other uh, options for doing things, I mean, at, at the highest list, probably most difficult would be local option sales taxes. But there are things like public safety special assessments that you talked about and other things that can be used to provide those funding. And and, and I think you're right in characterizing that is, is communities are looking at every rock right now because they recognize that to be a successful community, we need to be able to provide good quality services and that, and that costs money. Um, and again, we can talk about efficiencies all day, but at the end of the day, there's gonna be a direct correlation between the, the dollars available and the services we can provide. And we have, we have the pendulum has swung too far the other way. We've got to be smarter. Our revenue system's got to track with the economy, and it just doesn't do that right now. We've got to fix that, and we can fix that. Well, you know, we're, there's the possibility of, of course, this lawsuit that's been brought uh, challenging the state on their revenue-sharing agreement, which, you know, I, they, they're not asking for any sort of back money, but they are asking for the state to fix it going forward. We're still waiting on the appeals court to make a decision on that case, and it will likely go to the Supreme Court, which – means more time. But if indeed that interpretation of Headley was recognized, and I think it'd be about an extra $1.2 billion for municipalities uh, per year, if that were to happen, how much of a difference would that make? And would this, um, I, I guess, uh, decrease the need to make some of these fundamental changes, or will you still be lobbying for some some major changes to the way we do this? So, so, I mean, again, I think the lawsuit is a symptom of the broader problem. Um, you know, that action was taken because things have become such a crisis and it highlights the, the this disinvestment right i mean that we've taken dollars away and and probably arguably done some things that maybe we shouldn't have done um i think that doesn't change the need to be smarter about how you pr- deliver uh legacy costs i think it doesn't change the fact that our tax system doesn't work it is the one of the most restrictive systems in the country and it doesn't allow property taxes to track with the economy. So um, that still needs to be fixed. Uh, Would that deal with the revenue sharing components of it in terms of uh, providing additional dollars to communities that way? Yeah, I mean, I think that'd be a huge step in the right direction. Um, But we need still need to be thinking about this in a very comprehensive way. And I think one of the mistakes that that we frequently make at all levels of government is you know, band-aids on stuff because the big lifts are tough and the, and the difficult decisions and, and being, you know, uh, thoughtful and, and willing to be bold and how we do some of these things is difficult, but you know what, that's how things really change. And I'm hopeful that, that we're getting to a place now where people are willing to be bold and say, you know what, this might not be the most popular thing, but this is something I recognize is important for the state's future and my community's future. And I'm willing to, to stand up and, and have that conversation. That's really what we got to get to. Well, Anthony, I mean, one of the problems we deal with, too, though, is this notion uh, that citizens have and people have in general, not just here in Michigan, but all across the country that, you know, we are taxed enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're taxed enough already. We should be able to make do with what you're taking out of my pocketbook every single every single week. At the same time, though, uh, when you look at where Michigan is on that taxation level compared to other states that are investing a lot more in their communities and in their infrastructure, you know, where is Michigan on that spectrum? And and do people really understand what the full level of their taxation is or do they overestimate it? Well, I, I, I think I think most people we on a relative basis, we are 
uh, better than most, far better than most places. So on a relative basis, Michigan is, is, is a lower tax state. Um, having said that, no one likes to pay taxes, right? I mean, I, I get that, you get that. Uh, if, if, if I have the opportunity to pay more or less, most people will pick less. But what, what I think we fail to realize is the opportunity cost of some of those things. Because you go to places and, and I, hell, I know I do it. You go to a spot somewhere else and you say, this is fantastic. Why don't we have this at home? Well, the answer is they're making those investments and they're doing those things. Um, and that's what we got to realize is there's a value add here that is probably greater than the, the tax burden that it would add um, by making sure that we have amazing places all over the state and raising the economic value and the economic strength of this. If, if we had kept place as for the economy, I think I've shared this on your show before, but if we would have kept pace with the rest of the country in terms of population, we'd have 14 million people living here right now. Instead, we got 10 million. And that speaks to, to what our ability to attract and retain folks. That's what's got to get fixed. And if it doesn't get fixed, we're going to continue to lose ground. We're losing political clout. We're losing economic clout. These are things that the only way to change is to create those places that people want to be a part of. And I think, again, we have that opportunity to do that build a system that works. And then quite frankly, it'd be great to never think about this again, but that's not going to be done through a bunch of band-aids. We got to be strategic and thoughtful about what we do and let's get it right. Well, when you take a look at the overall fiscal health of the communities, I mean, I was looking at a report that came out, uh, I believe from the um, uh, House Fiscal Agency last year. I could be wrong, it's, but it was, def- oh, it was the Treasury, excuse me, the uh, Michigan Treasury said that there are, what, 70-some communities that are on the brink of, of requiring more state oversight, potential intervention if they don't turn their finances around. Uh, when you see a number like that, what does that tell you? Well, I mean, it tells me what I, what I already know, right, which is, is uh, things aren't working um, because this is not a function of mismanagement, contrary to what people might like to think. It, it's a system where I would challenge the best and brightest to to function in certain instances. Um, when a revenue system, imagine any business on earth, and I said, here's, the, here's what you got. Um, the best your revenues are ever gonna grow under any circumstances are inflation or less. Um, you have no control over certain costs uh, in your service delivery mechanism. And I want you to make that work into perpetuity. You'd say, I'm gonna go do something else for a living. Um, that's exactly what we're asking communities to do. We've built this system where we're having at best, at best, high water markets inflation. And a lot of communities, you know, we saw communities during the Great Recession lose 50% of their taxable value in some cases. And now it's frozen there. And it's now it's just creeping up in inflation. So like I said earlier, statewide on average, we're at 2005, 2006 taxable value levels. And that's when you combine some outliers that did better with some of those other places. Some places have far worse circumstances than that. And again, I don't think most businesses would survive on a revenue stream based on 2005. Uh, They'd be having tremendous difficulty. And that's exactly what we're seeing here because our system just doesn't work. Well, you know, and it's important to point out that nobody did this, uh, you know, with malice and nobody was like trying to create this sort of situation to starve the beast. That was not the mentality at the time. Granted, property taxes were a little bit out of control back in 1978 when Headley went through. There's no denying that this was a problem nationwide. Um, But, you know, just because these things are enshrined in law does not mean that they are infallible or that there were not unforeseen consequences. How do you convince residents um, that reopening this can of worms that is municipal finance is something that is actually going to add to their property values and their quality of life because they don't necessarily see that connection. 
Well, I think all you got to do is look to a place that has been forced into crisis and realize what could happen um, if you don't fix it. And again, uh, a recession, a significant recession, again, could impact communities that you're probably not even thinking about right now. Uh, so that's one of the things. Second thing is some of these things would not change their tax. So that's the something else that people don't realize. When we talk about Headley and Prop A reform, the changes that we'd be interested in making right now wouldn't change your taxes $1 today. What it does is it, it provides the ability for it to move up in a more realistic way uh, in the future in terms of uh, based on the values. And that's something that would be important um, uh, to implement into our system so that it tracks better with the economy. So we're not saying, you know, tomorrow your tax bill change. And in terms of the revenue sharing stuff, that's a that's an investment choice made by the legislature. I think what needs to happen there is, is they need to recognize, like any business would, like if I have some money to invest, where do I invest it? Um, if you were in a business, you'd invest that in your revenue generating capacity. And that can manifest itself in a number of different ways. But all of your investments will be focused on creating a better revenue situation. We've not done that, Michigan. We've actually disinvested. If you think about where our centers of economic activity are, it's in our cities. And that's exactly where we're disinvesting. And so we have this disconnect between where we're spending our money and where we create value. And if we could coordinate those things, I think we get a situation where all ships would rise. Um, and so part of that is convincing them to, un to, to think differently about this. Um, you know, you talk about starving the beast a second ago, whether it's intentional or not, um, this disinvestment is allowing us or forcing us, I should say, to be not as economically prosperous. And, and, and we talked about it throughout the, the interview here. Communities that are doing that are winning. Communities that are making those strategic investments, creating those places are winning. And we've got to do that if we want to compete. It's that simple. Well, one last question for you, and if you're really trying to get people to think about this, I mean, maybe a lot of the changes that they've made haven't necessarily directly impacted them, or at least they don't see it that way. But but what is that one sort of creeping problem uh, that a lot of communities that may look great on the surface have not been dealing with that threatens to blow up this whole thing? Is it is it legacy costs? Is it is it the cost of, of retirees? Is it is it hidden infrastructure? Which which is the biggest yeah, problem? I, I would say that the two biggest things that that um bloom out there are, are the legacy costs and deferred maintenance stuff, because it's easy to, to defer some of these investments in infrastructure and capital um, and until you have to deal with them. And both of those things are the, are the places I think most places go to. Uh, well, I'm sorry. So legacy costs are difficult to change in our current legal structure. And the, and the capital stuff is the easy deferral, right? Cause it's not a person, it's not a service I'm delivering tomorrow. And so you cross your fingers. And so, so those are the two things that I think are, are hanging out there right now that this disinvestment continues to, to impact. All right. Well, we will let you go. We appreciate your time. And I, I want to remind folks, if you want some information about what is going on in terms of municipal finance and where communities are and what the investment levels are, savemycity.org is the website put together by the Michigan Municipal League and my guest, Anthony Mangini. We appreciate your time, sir. And uh, best of luck. Keep us up to date on, on what's happening in the legislature. Oh, thank you, my friend. I appreciate the time. Anthony Mangini is the Deputy Executive Director and Chief Operating Officer at the Michigan Municipal League. 
We appreciate him joining us on the program today. If you would like to send your feedback on anything you've heard or learned on this program or complaints that you might have, I'd love to hear it. Send me an email to thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, and uh, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever. You can find me. Send me a message. Let me know what you think about what we're doing on here on this program. So like I said, we're going to be following up on some more discussions when it comes to this issue. It is important for all of us here in the state of Michigan. We are falling behind other states when it comes to our investment in our most important things like infrastructure and schools. And so we are going to keep talking about this and beating the drum for it. Also coming up on tomorrow's program, don't forget, it's the week that was. Nancy Derringer and Alan Lengel will be joining me as they do each week to talk about the big stories this week. And of course, it's been a huge week. You've got the G7 summit going on. President Trump has been talking about all kinds of different things. We've got the situation down at the border that we need to talk about. Two big Supreme Court decisions that came down today. All of it will be on our plate for tomorrow's program. So I'm looking forward to that, and hopefully you will join me. We will stream that live on Facebook as it happens probably around 11.30 or so tomorrow, give or take a few minutes. And, of course, I'll make that available as video on YouTube and also as a podcast for those of you that appreciate listening to the audio version of this. So thanks for checking out the show today, and we'll talk again tomorrow. See you then. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.